Chapter One of Cross Currents. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. Cross Currents by Eleanor Porter. Chapter One. The long train from the north rolled into the Grand Central Station and came to a jerky stop, while out the doors and down the steps surged a hurrying throng of men and women who seemed intent on reaching a given point in the shortest possible time. Back in the luxuriously appointed drawing-room car there was not so much haste, though even there silk-lined skirts rustled softly and carefully creased trousers submitted themselves more or less graciously to the porter's whisk-broom. At the far end of the car, a tall, fair-haired woman in dark blue and a little girl, five years old, sat by themselves. "'Are we there? Is it New York?' asked the girl eagerly. "'Yes, dear.' "'And now what do we do?' We take a carriage across the city, sweetheart. To go home? No, dear. We don't go home until next month. If we were going there now, we should wait right here for another train. As it is, we have to cross the city. Come, Margaret. See, we are the last to leave. She added, as she gave a final pat to the black silk coat. Now run along ahead, dear. Even the conductor had fallen captive to the big blue eyes and yellow curls under little Miss Margaret's drooping hat-brim, and he gave a nod and a pleasant smile as he lifted the child from the car steps to the platform. The porter, too, showed all his teeth in a broad grin. Once on the platform, Margaret hesitated, looking from one man to the other. It seemed to her that something was due these two kind friends, who had been so good to her all day. "'Thank you,' she said at last, in her sweet, high-pitched treble. "'I've had a very enjoyable time in your car. Good-bye.' Mrs. Kendall smiled and reached for her daughter's hand. The porter grinned even more broadly than before. But the conductor bowed very low with his hand on his heart. "'It has been a pleasure to me, I assure you,' he said gravely. And Margaret turned away well content. Mrs. Kendall still smiled all the long way down the narrow lane between the cars. It was so like Margaret, she thought, to do that, and so kind of the conductor to respond in that ready fashion to her quaint courtesy. Some would have laughed, and Margaret was always grieved when they laughed. She was a dear little girl anyway. Still, it was no wonder people called her quaint and old. And Mrs. Kendall's lips twitched as she thought of some of the large words that were her young daughter's special delight. In the big waiting room, Mrs. Kendall paused thoughtfully. A tiny frown was gathering between her brows, when her glance fell upon a slim young woman sitting alone not five feet away. At that instant 
the young woman raised her eyes. "'Mrs. Kendall!' she cried delightedly, springing to her feet. "'It is Mrs. Kendall, and little Margaret, too.' "'Yes.' "'And you are Miss Darrell?' smiled Mrs. Kendall. "'I thought I knew your face. And how is your mother?' For some minutes the two ladies chatted pleasantly of things and people far removed from the hurrying throng about them, and Mrs. Kendall said in a low voice, "'As you say you are to be here for some little time, Miss Darrell, would you mind keeping an eye on Margaret for a few minutes? I have an errand across the street, and I would rather not take her. She will give you no trouble, I am sure.' for she quite prides herself on her ability to take care of herself. "'I should love to do it,' declared Miss Darrell, and with a smile Mrs. Kendall turned to her daughter. "'Margaret,' she began gently, "'mother has an errand to do, something she wants to get at a store. It isn't far, just down a little way across the street. But she doesn't want to take you. Do you suppose you can stay here on one of these seats until she comes back? Miss Darrell will be here, too, so you will not be alone. Will you stay, dear? Margaret frowned and looked away. Margaret would prefer to go, too, she said emphatically. Yes, I know, dear. But we can't do what we prefer to do all the time, sweetheart. The street is full of teams and people and... I don't want you with me when I cross it. So I am very sure you are going to be my brave, patient little daughter and wait right here until I come back. Isn't that so, dear? There was plainly a struggle, but in the end Margaret smiled, even though she sighed. Yes, mother, I suppose so, she admitted. But please hurry, she added as her mother helped her up onto one of the long seats. "'Of course I'll hurry, precious,' promised Mrs. Kendall with a kiss. "'Now, don't stir from the seat, dear, else mother won't know where to find you. I'm sure she can trust you. Good-bye.' And with a smile and a nod to Miss Darrell, she was gone. In appealing to her daughter's courage, Mrs. Kendall had done a wise thing, as she well knew. Such an appeal was seldom made in vain. Margaret's father, who had died when Margaret was a year old, had been a soldier, and whether it were a hurt finger or a rainy day that threatened to bring tears to Margaret's eyes, the warning, "'Soldiers' daughters don't cry,' never failed to bring a smile so brave that the tears could not fall. "'Of course I'll hurry,' Mrs. Kendall was murmuring as she sped through the station doorway dear child, but I'll be back before she scarcely knows I am gone. The clerks, however, were busy when Mrs. Kendall reached the store, and there was considerable delay before she could leave with her purchase. Perhaps it was this that quickened her steps almost to a run, or perhaps it was the memory of a wistful yet bravely smiling face under a wide hat-brim. Whatever it was, Mrs. Kendall was certainly keeping her promise to hurry as she stepped from the curbstone and started to cross the street. Was it a careless chauffeur or a wet cobblestone? No one seemed to know afterwards. But there came a scream, 
hoarse cries, and then the rush of many feet. Later, a limp, unconscious form, in a bedraggled dress of blue, was lifted by tender hands into the ambulance which had been hastily summoned, and which at once drove away with its burden. Back in the street, three policemen tried to bring order out of the chaos of shouting, gesticulating men and boys, and in the confusion no one noticed the little urchin that dived under a wagon and captured a lady's handbag, small, expensively made, and bearing the monogram A.W.K. "'Whew! Wasn't she a swell one?' cried the boy a minute later as he was examining his treasure in the seclusion of an alleyway nearby. Phew! He whistled again, as he stuffed silver and bills into his pockets. I reckon the gang gets a spree tonight, all right. He paused and gazed with frowning eyes at what was left in his lap. Two keys, two trunk checks, a card or two, and a letter addressed to Mrs. Frank Kendall. Hmm! I reckon this is best for them, he muttered, as he tore letter and cards into fragments. And I reckon it's just as well if I ain't found with this stuff, he added, as he dropped bag, keys, and trunk checks into a convenient ash barrel. The next instant he gave a wild shout and raced off in search of de gang and Dispree. End of chapter 1 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.